0: Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, well, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program is Danielle Halley, and it's really great to have her on the program because of how we got connected. Uh, if you've been listening to Demand Gen Radio for some time now, you'll know that there's an episode way back with Dana Nemec, who joined me on the program from GE. And we had a great chat. And she said to Danielle, Hey, you've got a great story to tell. You've got some great insights and things that you should share with David's audience on Demand Gen Radio. So why don't you reach out to him and see if you do a program together? And here we are. So, Danielle, welcome. Thank you so much for reaching out.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Really excited.
0: I enjoyed our conversation the other day and coming up with some of the topics that you are passionate about, which is really cool. Um, you are the global manager and focus on marketing analytics and insights at Baker Hughes, which is owned by GE. But that's what you're doing today. Tell me a little bit about your journey and how your career path took you into this role. Because what, you graduated with a degree in business, but also in psychology. So here you are in marketing and yeah. marketing analytics. how that all happen?
1: Yeah, it's, it's uh, quite the journey. Um, I graduated with a major in economics and a minor in business and psychology. And I actually started in the hedge fund industry in 2007. So one theme of my entire career is if you don't like uncertainty, don't follow my path. Because usually when I When I start somewhere, it's about to either blow up or has just blown up. So, yeah, I started in um, really doing marketing and kind of sales in hedge funds and private equity right before, you know, the whole market tanked. And I was at a very small fund, so had to kind of stop marketing and sales, if you will, and really pick up other pieces more on the operational side of just keeping the company going, keeping the fund alive. Um, so I was in that industry for about five years. Mm-hmm. I moved to a larger hedge fund once things settled down a little bit where I could focus a little bit more on business development. Um, but that was really the start of my career. Uh, so it was, I learned a lot, uh, but it was pretty stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, and after things settled down, I, I, wanted to change industries. I just needed to hit reset on my career. And that's when I went back to business school and I got my MBA from Georgetown. And that really kind of starts this chapter of my life because I focused on marketing and strategy and um, did started with an internship at GE Capital in the ECLP program, which is the experienced commercial leadership program and did my internship with them, got the full-time offer, was really excited about it. Um, and the day of our onboarding call to start the full-time role was the day they announced at GE Capital that they were divesting the majority of the businesses within GE Capital.
0: Wow.
1: So another uh, hiccup there. <laughs> Uh, and so when I started, uh, GE, I was with Capital and I eventually found a role, a similar role on the same program in GE Oil and Gas, which is where I moved, I moved from down to Houston, Texas, uh, and started at, uh, GE Oil and Gas in the ECLP program. And then within maybe four or five months of me being in that role, they announced the end. Of the program I was in,
0: lots of pivots, lots so, of unexpected um, turns in the journey.
1: Exactly. Yeah. There's um, now I can never. You know, if if things are going really well, I'm, I get a little bit antsy. I'm like, okay, this is too easy now.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting when you look back on your life and you see those, you know, changes in in direction. Or was it that? You know, is it that this is the journey that led you to where you are? You know, when when anybody thinks about key points that have happened in their life and you look back and go, should I have taken that job at that time? What if I, you know, uh, what if I had done this or hadn't done this? And, you know, when I ask most people, would you change anything in your life? You know, unless someone's had big catastrophe or, you know, Mm -hmm. they'd say no, like, you know, they're happy where they ended up and and the path worked for them. Do you feel that way?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and because I've gone through so many of these crazy changes, that's one thing, you know, even now for, for being part of Baker Hughes, the GE company, and with the merger and everything, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty there. But I just kind of think to the past and just how much I learned and, and just know that, You know, everything that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And all of these experiences put together, even though in the moment they're terrifying and stressful and anxiety ridden, it really teaches you a lot and pushes you forward. I mean, I remember one time in Houston when I was struggling to find a full time role because the program was ending in an industry I only had like six months of experience in you know, and I constantly wasn't sure if I was going to be moving. So, you know, building up friends was difficult, going through a bunch of breakups at the same time. And I remember driving home one day and calling my mom and just bawling, you know, just in the car, just like, why does everything always have to be so difficult? And You know, she's like, you know, you've been through this before, and you've gotten through, and you know that it will be okay. And I know that's not what you want to hear right now, but trust me, you will make it through. And I cannot be happier with where I ended up on my career journey and where I'm at now. And who knows what'll be coming in the future? But even when you're, you just kind of got to white knuckle it, and and just know that everything happens, and it builds you as a person in a specific way. And I'm very happy with the person that it built <laughs> so far.
0: So true. And, you know, I've got two daughters, and I'm always giving them the advice that everything works out. You know, they don't probably want to hear that at the time, or they do. Yeah. You know, um, it just feels like sometimes the ceiling's caving in, right? Uh, and you talked about stress, mm-hmm. I want to come back to that, but uh, you, you got to keep telling yourself that, even through the the tough times and the and the hard times that everything works out. Um, you know we're we're uh, airing this podcast at a time when there was just the announcement on marketo getting acquired by Adobe, mm-hmm. right? How do all yeah. of those employees? now think as you've gone through these acquisitions, right? Didn't everybody wake right. up going, what does this mean for me, my job, mm-hmm. my future? Yeah. I, I, I want to get back to your career. But I do want to take a quick uh, moment and ask you like, what is your take on that on the acquisition? What do you think it means to to marketers? What does it mean to you as a Marketo customer in the team? How, how are you responding to the news?
1: I mean, so for for me, I kind of, to your point, kind of think onto the employees and they're probably freaking out um, and some are probably really excited and some are uncertain. But as a customer, I would all just be looking towards how do they make sure they maintain, you know, the customer focus while they kind of deal with everything in the background. I know that was for us as BHGE when we went through the merger, that was, What we always had to keep thinking about is make sure the customer knows that we're still there for them and we're going to be bigger and stronger and we'll have more offerings for them moving forward. And I, so that's kind of the way I'm thinking about it and I'll be watching it is just to make sure that, you know, Marketo keeps executing, even though there's going to be a lot of noise that's happening behind them in the background as everything shakes out.
0: Got it. So what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Uh, Kelly Clarkson, I think, right? Yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. Lots of ballads listened to during those uncertain times, so music is always a good outlet as well.
0: (laughs) Definitely. You mentioned about stress, and I, um, Mm -hmm. in my career, certainly as a marketer, have experienced many different types of stresses. Earlier on in my career, just pushing the launch button on a campaign, right? Or... Being mm-hmm. backstage, I remember when I ran marketing at another company, we were having a multi day conference and I was backstage with my CEO at the time, and it was about 9 o'clock, first day, keynote, opening of our user conference. The curtains were closed. On the other side of those curtains were thousands of seats, and he asked me the question, he goes, Do you think the room's gonna be full? And I said, I think so, just just on the noise level. But I candidly had no idea. I just kind of part <laughs> hope. And it was stressful. It was really stressful because he had started the company. He was the founder, which I can really relate to that now. And this was the first time okay. that he would ever be on stage in front of all of his customers, our customers. And, you know, I just wanted to go off flawlessly, which it did. And everything worked out. What's been stressful in your career? You, know, you talked about earlier stress. Draw back on that and think about uh, if you could share what, what's stressful in marketing either these days or has been in your career and, and how you're dealing with that.
1: Oh, man. We would probably need like four more podcasts to discuss what's stressful in my career to date. Um, but I think right now, I can focus on right now. I think we're kind of at a, a pivot point, I would say, for marketing in a B2B you know, business and then also for the industry that we're in, which is kind of, you know, goes through ups and downs all the time, but there's a whole new set of people that are coming into the industry that just consume in a different way than what the people that are trying to sell to them, I don't think they realize. And so, as the, you know, working in demand generation and working in marketing is, it's stressful trying to. You see it, you know, like I know the importance of the website. I know the importance of making sure our, our sales people are on LinkedIn and are active there, but they don't. And so what's stressful to me is that it's not moving as quickly as I would like it to. Mm. And the way I have to deal with that is just to take a step back and realize that it, when you think about the funnel, we're at the education and awareness point. And it's gonna, we're gonna be there for a little bit, and I have to, you know, slow down sometimes and make sure that, you know, we need to bring people along instead of just charging ahead and then potentially not having any sort of support for, for what we're doing. I
0: wonder if we share that in common because I, when I get stressed, it's because I feel like there's friction, and I don't mean conflict. I mean there's hurdles, friction. Um, something that's preventing something from getting done, or something that just isn't happening, and it doesn't make sense. That's that's where my personality goes to. Like, wh- why can't we get this done, or why isn't it done yet? Um, yeah, you know, I I do think in sales and marketing, and I've made these recommendations before, that we should walk in each other's shoes. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes marketers, like we deploy all these sales tech tools, right? All these capabilities that sales can use either in the CRM or ancillary to the CRM, uh, like you mentioned, LinkedIn. And yet if you don't actually walk in the shoes of a salesperson and experience what it's like to move through a deal cycle, be negotiating with clients, be assembling people in a sales cycle, like a sales engineer or what have you, and, and run that whole, and manage your pipeline and do all that, um, to think about pulling all these tools and technologies and working them in and using the CRM really diligence, it's it's hard. I mean, it's there's there's right. definitely some empathy that should be shared. We know the power these tools can provide and how it can help them be more successful as sellers, but you know, until you've actually done it and try to pull those pieces. On the flip side, right? Marketing sometimes a very Mm -hmm. thankless job. You know, you work so hard on a brand refresh or uh, another program and it's like, yeah, I kept paying. It's okay. I don't know if I really like that graphic. How come our logo is not bigger? You know, like, really? Wow. Can you relate? Yeah, like,
1: that's what we're, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Or I think more so sometimes on the marketing side is you work so hard to get people to fill out a form or to, you know, raise their hand to attend a webinar and then you ask the sales to follow up with them and there's a resistance there because they they weren't the one that helped them fill out a form or something like that. So, you know, with the, the whole sales and marketing piece, especially on the tools side of something I'm dealing with quite a bit right now is there's all these great tools for like intense data and at the account level for account-based marketing that you can then, you know, activate sales and for me, it's been kind of that, okay, I need to slow down a little bit and talk to sales and have them look at the tools and see if they would find it useful. And so we're doing a couple of smaller pilots right now to make sure that we do get that engagement with sales before we even try to roll it out at scale purely as a marketing tool. Um, Because so many of the tools these days, it really is, it blurs a lot that line between marketing and sales and, and what is marketing or demand generation and then what is sales enablement and it's becoming almost one and the same
0: it sure is so
1: you know so how do you make sure that the tool that you as a marketer think is really cool that is giving sales the type of information that they need and that they can actually action um, in a format that is palatable and it's not too much And on the analytics side, I think I struggle with that quite a bit, is how do you you see all of these data points looking at the analytics, but if you were to show that to somebody else, they're going to be like, wow, that's a lot of numbers. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what to do with that. So how do you distill it into an action? And I work a lot, and it's a constant work in progress with the, the different dashboards that we use and the different you know email alerts that we send to make sure it's actually something that people can understand what to do with that, with those analytics, really the insights part, what is the insight? Forget almost the analytics to a point, depending on your audience. You don't even necessarily need to show them a number. You just need to tell them, hey, do this. And if you want to know why I can show you the numbers, but here's like a high level.
0: Well, that's why I wanted you to take us through your career journey, because I think as I As I uncover folks like yourself that are high performance marketers, I like to reveal more about them than what might you see um, when you talk to them, right? And what is that with you? So you started as an economics major, right? You went to NYU and you studied economics, right? You have a numbers and financial acumen, right? And then you took that into, again, into finance. Uh, and continued on that, that path. and you know were doing audit, right? And what do audit people do? And what do audit companies do? They look for insights in the data to find ways to improve or change uh, performance of a company. And then as you you know kept going down that career path, at some point, you make this pivot as you go for your MBA and you land in marketing. And so you know, earlier on though in your career, you were interested in psychology, which, as you and I talked about the last time we we're together, th- those the discipline of marketing incorporates so much psychology mm-hmm. in it. So now, here you are in your role at GE. You've got this background in auditing and looking at numbers and looking, uh, you know, you're you're a mystery hunter, right? And you're looking for answers, uh, and you find them, and you know, you love content that really came out the last time we talked, and it's like it's just such a almost polar difference, right? On one side is this this analytics person, and then someone who's so passionate about the experience with a customer and content. So, a, a bit of a unicorn you are, I think. Um,
1: <laughs> I you, will take that as a compliment for sure. <laughs> if not that I. I'm indecisive.
0: (laughs) No, I think you're taking both the right brain and left brain of marketing and fusing them together to to be a high performance marketer for sure. And I think, you know, having both of those skills um, are absolutely essential. You know, I'll I'll tee it up. So why do you like marketing analytics? Why do you like insights so much? What do you get from from doing that? What what happens when you when you do your research and do your studying? I want to go there.
1: You know what I think I really enjoy about it is that in the past, you know, marketing was thought of this fluffy, you know, something and you just hope that it's working in a way. And and in the same age, you can really finally see in the numbers if it's actually working. So I think what I really enjoy about it is that instead of just trusting intuition um, and just saying, well, I think this is the right way to do it, we have the tools and the ability now to say, Is that true? And I kind of like the idea that um, of a little bit of destruction. So we think these are our top accounts, but actually, if you look at the people that are interacting with us in our on our website, off our website, all of that, it's actually these accounts. And kind of throwing that at people and saying, why do we think that is? If these are you know our target accounts, why aren't they on our site? Um, And I like being able to put numbers to people's hypotheses when it comes to how people are, are engaging with us, how they think about our products in a way to take the ego out in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, we think our products are the best. We think our company is the best and we very well could be, but not everybody's going to think that way. So how can I, in a more solid way, kind of make people think in a different way, in a more creative way, and maybe a way that will push, you know, them um, to extend a little bit more. So I think that's the piece. To me, I don't know if I would have enjoyed this type of marketing, you know, 15 years ago, because you just didn't have that solid data and analytics to point to, to help guide in the in a direction that's more data driven
0: absolutely there's been so many podcasts that I've done even one recently with with Ed King which we talked about trying to make data sexy right and you you find mm-hmm. the answers in the in the data um, how is how have these insights and the work that you're doing with the creative folks um, helped to get you guys out of let's say batch and blast mode where you're not just doing one and done uh, marketing
1: yeah well I don't know if we're quite out of it I think with the insights that we can get, especially to your point earlier on the content side, you know, how many people actually open that email that we spent weeks and weeks putting together with the right graphics and the right wording and, you know, sent to the right people, like how did it actually perform? And kind of take away that idea that, Oh, it's almost right now, it's almost the end of the quarter. A year ago, we would have been getting eight, you know, requests from sales, like we need to send an email to this database to get orders. And you're like, we're in a business to business. We're in the oil and gas industry. That's not exactly how it works. So now I can say, you know, there's the risk to that is that those people are going to unsubscribe, that they are going to get annoyed with us. And that risk is much greater than any positive impact you'll get because only 2% of the people you send it to are going to open it and only zero percent are actually going to click through and now we can show them that and they're like oh you know it and people are very you know once you give them that type of sol- solid you know look at it they're like oh no okay you're right and it's very it's great to see that they're, they're very receptive to it at this point or more receptive anyway um and kind of saying that's a really great idea but i don't think that's the right approach We need to think it out more on a journey. Where does this fit in with um, the strategy that we have this year rather than it's the last week of the quarter, let's send an email and we'll get orders.
0: Yeah, I don't think enough companies, especially in B2B, map out. Mm-hmm. The desired client experience. I think a lot of B two C companies do that exceptionally well. They yeah. think about that yeah. journey. The word you use, journey, whether it's journey or the experience. They think about that end to end experience. And in some ways, it should be infinite, right? I mean, you want to have the customers. And you mm-hmm. want to have uh, customers yeah. for life. I know something. You know that we've talked about is not just upper funnel marketing, right? But but looking at the mm-hmm. install base and GE is, you know, as being one of the largest companies in the world, um, with all your different business units, you guys have a massive. Customer base, right, and and you could focus mm-hmm. a lot of your efforts just growing the lower funnel, as opposed to just always getting caught up in a in net new. How, right. Do you guys balance that pretty well, or how do you how do you approach you know net new versus versus customer experience marketing?
1: We we are getting better. Um, I think it's always a work in progress. It's in ab two B and in 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 particular, our business is a little more difficult too because we have you know, products where the the sales cycle is, you know, a couple months, and then we have products where the sales cycle is years. Um, So how do you balance resources in a way to addressing that couple years? And usually what it comes down to is addressing the couple months. Um, And that's why for our demand generation efforts, it's been focused on a select group of product lines, uh, Mm -hmm. where you can see it you can see the impact more directly. Um, I do think we're kind of lifting our head up right now and and realizing, okay, even though we might not be able to to tie revenue to this right now, this is important for our customer journey and it's important for us as a brand and for, you know, as Baker Hughes and GE Company becomes its own, um, how do we make sure that our customers see us as the full stream oil and gas provider, equipment provider that we are. Um, So it's, we can do a lot better. I think we rely mainly on sales for that, uh, the customer experience. And we rely on our team and the marketing team for the awareness and, you know, bringing people in and, and that it's kind of thrown to sales. And we're like, okay, (laughs) our work here is done. Um, So we can do much better at it. And I think as, you know, we've built up our teams over the past couple months, we're really getting there um, and starting to think along those lines. So I I see a lot of improvements coming. We don't have a silver bullet, (laughs) Uh, but it's been quite a journey and been exciting to be a part of it kind of from the beginning, not as far back as Dana, as you mentioned, because she was on our team as well. But uh, coming in where I came in and where we were two years ago and where we are now is vastly
0: different what's happening at GE just popping up to the leadership level so so much discussion these days uh, Uh around digital transformation right that that the Mm -hmm. buyer is engaging with us completely differently 24 7 you know in the palm of their hand is your leadership talking to marketing sales Product and service, and saying we need to become an integrated experience and look at digital transformation and change um, how we sell and how we deliver and how we service. Um, I'd, I'd love to know, and I'm going to start asking that question of more people because if we were doing a startup together, you and I today, we okay. would probably approach our go to market strategy. With such a digital mindset, right we would think about the experience our web experience we would think about chat we would think about service and and knowledge bases and and what marketing service and product would be doing to to do that customer experience a company that's been around for a while are you hearing that from your leadership team and, and are you guys getting challenged to rethink the customer experience?
1: in pockets yes I, I do I do see it in pockets I also think just in the way that we enable sales is changing. Um, for for Baker Hughes, because, um, you know, the oil and gas industry, as I had mentioned before, is, you know, a lot of kind of old school mindset um, is shifting. And I think as we can show that customers are engaging with us digitally, then that's when you can really get some more of like kind of the mid-level leadership on board. I do think at the upper levels, there's a huge focus on it, and now it's, okay, so how do we activate the rest of this huge organization to breed, live and breathe that yeah. for the customer? So it's how do you operationalize that mindset, really, is what it comes down to.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear the conversations are happening and, and pulling that together in different different pockets. I think every company has to be doing that now and just reinventing their go-to-market strategy and how they're engaging with customers. So how do you market oil field products and services, <laughs> you know, tell me about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, so a lot of thought leadership, a lot of in-person kind of old school, we go to the industry industry trade shows and really have a presence there as, you know, the full stream solution for oil and gas um, equipment. It depends on, so we have four main product lines and they're all very different. Um, and so it really depends on the product line and the way that you market to them. So the business I align with is the measurement and controls and digital solutions business. So we actually have the added fun of we only. I think 30 or 40% of our customers are oil and gas. So we have all other industries as well. So we have to think about, okay, how do we market where, where, where do oil and gas producers and operators, where do they find their information? But then we also have to think about where do aviation, you know, maintenance engineers find their information? Where do, um, healthcare? You know operators find their information so really what we do on the marketing side is talk to the sales team talk to the customers understand where do you get your information and then make sure that we have a presence there that people understand um that we play in the space what we offer we offer so like so many products across the spectrum you know even if you're in the oil field it's not just the oil field services and oil field equipment businesses within our business that will can be our customers. Also us as the measurement and controls business, because we have sensors and corrosion management uh, software for you to make sure that, that machine is running really efficiently. So it's, it's not an easy feat, but just understanding where do our customers find their information? Where are they? searching for solutions to their problems and making sure that we have a presence there digitally. We drive a lot of people just back to the website for more information into the contact us form Mm -hmm. or, you know, to uh, make sure you contact your sales representative for our, for our larger customers. So it's a lot of driving people to the website, making sure the website has enough information on there um, and then having them contact us and raise their hand because we, it's not exactly a e-commerce that we have going on. We aren't going to be selling any uh, gas turbines uh, just through one click.
0: I just, I just hope for the people listening in that are marketing, you know, other products. That you, when you think about putting marketing materials together to talk about how to refine hydrocarbons more efficiently, you know, like some <laughs> sometimes you just might want to think, I got it pretty good with the products and services that I'm marketing yeah. to some big challenges. What's uh before yeah. we wrap up? What's what's next for Danielle? Is there something that you are working on, on your skill set and expertise, or a new uh, piece of marketing technology that you're bringing in and deploying? What's what's happening in Q four or um, looking for next year that you're working on?
1: Yeah, so we're looking at a lot of tools to really because that line is so fuzzy between uh, sales enablement and demand generation. Really finding a tool that. Um, bridges that and gives us the insights that we need to execute on ABM and on, you know, intent data, but also finding a better way to then pass that information to sales uh, in a more seamless manner. Right now, you know, the tool that we use, all the insights that are really given is whatever they, the customer filled out on the contact us form or information about the campaign. But we want to be able to also give the sales, hey, this person also did all of this other, you know, all of these other actions. So this is how you can start the conversation. Um, and there's a lot of great tools out there. We're doing a couple different pilots um, uh, to see what resonates with the sales team. So kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, does the sales find this information helpful? Because it can be a little bit of an information overload, especially when you're dealing with an account like, say, a Chevron or, you know, a VP. We have so many data points on them that what, how is it going to resonate for this one interaction with the salesperson? So that's um, kind of the next piece for us. And then as we, so we're going to be um, divested from GE and be our own company in a couple years. So mm-hmm. how do we then build that brand, um, as Baker Hughes, a GE company. Uh, so I'm looking a lot at that and how do we really become our own a little bit more? Uh, so that's going to be pretty exciting and and fun. Once again, never a dull moment in in my career path.
0: Change is the only constant and some, some, you know, things that you said there I want to underscore, which is as you're rolling out sales tech, uh, don't do it in, you know, in a stack with a whole bunch of different tool sets, you know, take a tool, do the training, come back to it, keep doing the training and, and build up muscle memory with the rep on Mm -hmm. that particular tool, then stack another one on top of that. Don't try to bring a whole Swiss army knife or tool chest there. It's just too, Mm -hmm. too much, too much change in sales process and, and too many, you just won't get adoption. You've got to stack on that as you're, as you're saying. Um, really enjoyed getting to know you. I want to thank you again for reaching out uh, to me. Uh, You know, I I love it when I say on the program, and I'm gonna say it again, like if you've got a story to tell, if you want your recipes to be shared, if you're doing some exciting things that other marketers and sales people would value from, then reach out to me and let's talk about getting you on the program just like you did, Danielle. So thank you for sharing it. I can't wait to keep watching you in your career path and see uh, where this journey continues to take you, but such an interesting background. Coming from the economic side and moving into where you are, so funny when I first connected on LinkedIn and it was you know asking me those prompts around you know which skills does Danielle have that and it's like you know fund Fun, management investment knowledge. yeah it's all this financial stuff from your background so I'm I'm not promoting those skills in in you I'm promoting the other ones that you clearly have great expertise and are demonstrating every day there so anyway thanks for joining me on the on the program I. Hope you have a wonderful remainder of the year and that you keep listening in. And to all of you that listen on the program, thank you so much for all your feedback. The program has been doing phenomenal these last several months, just more and more and more listeners. So if you haven't clicked the subscribe button, do it so that you just get automatically notified of new episodes like this one. And if there's people on your team, recommend it to them because, Danielle, that's how you found out about it, right? Dana said you should yeah. listen to this podcast, which is cool.
1: Yeah, and I, I make sure every, we've been really building up our marketing and communications teams recently. And every time we have a new hire, I'm like, here's, you're in the list of resources to, to make sure that you have is this podcast.
0: Well, big, big uh, thank you for that. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're amplifying that. Awesome. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. I hope all of you make it a great day. Drive safely if you're listening. Uh, If you're at the gym working out, bring up that heart rate. And thank you for listening on the program. We'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.